0: Welcome to this exciting sermon from World Impact Community Church. We hope you enjoy this message. For more sermons and resources, please do visit us at wscc.in. Greetings in Jesus' mighty name. It is such a joy to come to another week, worshipping God and enjoying the presence of God, learning from God's word in a very precious way. All through last week, I believe God has been speaking to everyone. We heard a beautiful message last week of the treasures of our heart. God has been speaking to every one of us to keep growing and to search our hearts. We've been listening to a series on a clean heart, a soft heart, and about the treasures of our heart. And today, I want to take us into another topic about the heart. And I want to call it a content heart. God wants every one of us to come to a place of contentment. But all of us want to gather up for ourselves things that we feel will make us feel secure. Because every one of us are looking, how can I come to a place where I can feel content with the things I gather or the things I put together or bring together in my life. By nature, we go after the things we desire. By nature, we go after the things we desperately want. And that becomes our treasure. First Timothy Chapter 6 and verse 6, there's a precious verse that I want to pitch it off today on. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Godliness is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. Which means the Bible says godliness... And contentment, when they come together, they are an unstoppable team. There's not just gain, the Bible says godliness has gain, but when we live a godly life and with it we live a content life, a life with God and a life of contentment, it's a tag team. Nothing can stop it, the Bible says. The Bible calls that teamwork great gain, unusual gain. Something out of the ordinary, not just to pursue a God but also a life that is we are living on another level. I have many friends who are both believers and unbelievers different parts of the world, different continents, different backgrounds, different careers, lovely people, some are very charming and some are very intelligent, very smart, some are great entrepreneurs, some are managers up there, and in the midst of their success, some of them have great families, great homes, great marriages. And in the midst of all their success, some of them would come to me and say, John, I just don't feel content. I feel there's something more to life than all that I've been going after. They speak about a deep, unmet need of their life, a need to find contentment, which they will truly find only in the pursuit of the purposes of God and the person of Jesus Christ. By nature, man is not content. We're just not content with what we were, we're not content with what we have, we're not content with what we own, we're not content in many, many ways. The Bible says, Proverbs 27 and verse 20, the Bible says, Sheol and Abaddon are never satisfied, nor are the eyes of man ever satisfied. Imagine, Sheol, the grave, and Abaddon, you know, literally, the grave and hell are not content, and the Bible you know, it says that the eyes of man are similar to the grave, that always wants more and more people. That you know, how many ever people died, there are more people that they're willing. The grave is willing to take on. The Bible says in the same way, the eyes of man also like that. It's just never content. Wow, that's powerful. When we see the the, the comparison of man's lusts, man's desires to the grave, we all get bored of things. You know, we we, we buy a car and then we're bored of it. Uh, when we bought, we were excited and then we get bored of it. We buy a house, we love it. And then after some time, we're bored of it. We see someone else's home and we say, Oh, we buy a new dress. We love it. And then after some time, no, what shall I wear? We buy a new shoes. We love it. And then after some time, how can I always wear that one? We get a new bag and we love it. And then we say, no, I need a few more. We are not content. Our hearts always are longing for the next thing, the next happening thing, the next year. We get a new job. We're excited. Great manager, great team, great people. And then after some time, we say, hey, it's the same thing. I'm bored. I don't like what I'm doing. Every one of us get bored of stuff really fast. Man oftentimes believes that his happiness is connected to getting the next thing he desires for. The heart of man is always desiring for something new. My heart and your heart are always desiring. We want something new. And we would think if I had a better job, I'd be happy. If I had a better house, I'd be happy. If I had another husband or another wife, um, maybe more smarter husband or a caring husband or a more beautiful wife or a, a, a more obedient, loving, you know, warm wife. And we're always looking for the next thing, thinking maybe whatever I don't have, if I can get in my spouse and another spouse, I'd be happy. And that is just the harder man. We're looking for a better pay. We're not satisfied with our wages. We're looking for a better boss. Uh, you know, we don't like our boss. Our boss is mean. He's not happy. He's not a good man. We're looking for a, so, you know, some people look for a better nation, a better country to be part of, another nationality. Some people are saying, I wish I was part of another race, another, uh, you know, another group of people, another part of the world. So we, what man begins as his pursuit of looking for what can satisfy him, begins to take him on a race that ends up making him highly discontent highly discontent with what he's doing i read a story like this that goes like this an airplane pilot was flying over the mountains of tennessee in the united states and this pilot pointed out to his co-pilot and he said do you see that lake there and his co-pilot said yes i do and he said when i was a kid i used to sit on a rowing boat down there fishing every time i would look up overhead I would wish I was sitting in that plane. Haven't we all looked up to the skies and seen planes fly by and want, wish that we would be on that plane? And he says, today, every time I look down and I see that lake, I wish I was sitting on a rowboat in that lake fishing. The next thing that comes in our life, we begin to get excited about it and get bored with what we have. We get bored with our job. We get bored with where we're living. We get bored with the house we're in. We get bored with our friends maybe. We just get bored with everything. Contentment can can be very, very elusive. Wherever we look to, we think that will make us content. And then we feel that doesn't. We go after what we think will make us happy only to find that it didn't work. In fact, many of us were much happier before we started chasing after some things. We were much happier in some sense before we had a great dream. It's like the story, uh, again, you know, that I read somewhere. It says like there's two teardrops were floating down the river of life. One teardrop said to the other, who are you? And he said, the teardrop said, I'm a teardrop from a girl who loved a man and lost him. Who are you? And the other teardrop said, I'm a teardrop. From the girl who got him. One said I'm the teardrop from the girl who lost a man. Who she loved. The other one was a teardrop from a girl who got that man. You know we think the other person is going to be happier than us. And we're thinking if only I had got that person I loved. Or if I could have married that person. Or, You know we look at married people sometimes. And I wish I was married. And some married people look at some single people and say I wish I was single again. How can I get out of this marriage? How can I be divorced? Contentment is oftentimes very elusive. Our discontent is quite obvious. It can be seen if you look at uh, the way marriages are breaking down, broken homes, broken marriages, divorce rates are on, on the rise. We see that people are really discontent. We can see our discontentment in the next new thing we want and the 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 new uh new job or the new car or the new house or the new shoes the new bag the new thing that we want. We can see our discontentment in uh, in in maybe people are not treating us right. Uh, I'm discontent in being a man, or I'm discontent in being a woman because uh, you know we don't have our rights, and I want our right. I'm discontent in being part of some nation or the other nation, or I'm discontent in why do I have to fly economy all the time when someone else is uh, struggling to have, have even a bicycle to get to places. We are discontent in so many ways. Has this been your story? Is this is this something that resonates with your heart? Am I speaking? Am I touching a raw nerve with somebody today? If so, I want you to stay focused because I believe God has something powerful to speak to us. If we understand that people are fighting one another just because they feel if they can sue somebody and get some money or if they can, you know, rob somebody, cheat somebody and get some more money. Many, many people, uh, you know, in order to get more wealthy, they cheat other people hoping that somehow they can make more money. But finally, even they are discontent. A great American statesman, Benjamin Franklin, the president, he said, content makes poor men rich and discontent makes rich men poor. Let me say that again. Content makes poor men rich and discontent makes rich men poor. There are loads of uh, poor people that are extremely rich in their heart for who they are. There are loads of rich people. They're extremely poor, even though they have everything. Oh, I love this story. I heard one day about a, a rich businessman. You know, he was just watching some uh, some people sitting under a tree and playing cards in a small countryside. And he walks up to them. He says, why are you playing cards and wasting your time? Shouldn't you? Why don't you just go out fishing? You guys are fishermen. Go out fishing and do some more hard work and, and, and get some more fish and sell some more fish and make a lot of money. And then you will be happy. And so one of the fishermen looked at him and said... Okay, and so we make a lot of fish and then what? Get a lot of fish and then what? He said, well get a lot of fish, sell it and then you can buy a bigger boat. And the fisherman said, and then what? He said, "Uh, uh, well you get a bigger boat, you get more business, you can hire more people, that'll get bigger and then you can have the biggest fishing business in the area. And then he said, and then what? And he said, then you'll get, you know, buy more boats and that will grow and that'll become like a, you know, a huge company, a huge business. And then he said, and then? He said, then you can take your family and go on a Caribbean cruise. You can uh, you can just go on a holiday and you can rest in the sunshine and the beaches are in the sunshine. And the fisherman looked at him and said, isn't that what I'm doing right now? You see, many times we just, We think about some of the great dreams that I'm going to have and I'm going to do. Adam and Eve were very discontent. They were discontent with God. You know, many times we're discontent with God. God, I don't think the place, the nation you put me in is the right nation. God, I'm upset with you. God, I'm sad about my father that you gave me. I don't like the mother you gave me. I don't like the brother and sister you gave me. And I don't like the the, the culture into which I'm born. We can be discontent many times. Adam and Eve had that very issue with God. You see, God told Adam and Eve, I want you to you know, eat of everything except of these two trees, the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But Adam and Eve, they were disregarding every other tree that God gave. And they spent their evening being discontent about the two trees that they could not eat for. Isn't that the heart of man? Isn't that our heart many times? We disregard everything that God gave. We disregard God's faithfulness. That he put three square meals on our table all these years. That when we did not know how to walk, he gave us people that cared for us, fed us, picked us up and put us on our feet. We disregard the amazing, the millions of blessings God has sent our way. And we are angry about that one thing that God did not give us. Satan, in fact, offered Jesus the very thing and he tempted him. Satan tempted Jesus said, can you be discontent with God? What have you come for? You come for the kingdom? God wants you to get it through suffering. But I'm going to offer you for free. All you need to do is just worship me. Just bow down and worship. You know, Satan is a crook. He's a liar. He wants to get into your heart and my heart by making us discontent. He wants to turn you against your leaders by making you discontent. He wants to turn you against your parents, against your children, against your family. He wants to turn you against your society by making you discontent. That is the scheme of the devil. And he tried that with Jesus. He said, Jesus, you know what? I'm willing to give you the kingdom. That's what you've come for. I'm going to give it to you. You don't have to die on a cross and all that because your father, he's just got a bad plan all the time. He wants you to suffer and die on the cross and he wants you to go through agony and pain. Many Christians, they, they, they feel the same thing. God wants me to what? Deny myself, take up the cross and follow him? Why does God want me to go through all of that? Why can't just God make me happy? Because our happiness is oftentimes connected to our lusts, what I want. God is not a Santa Claus that is, is trying to meet all our lusts because our lusts will destroy us. God is a good father who wants to meet all our needs. And part of that meeting our needs is training us to be somebody who can stand on our feet and who can live for Jesus Christ. So what do we gather trying to be happy and to be safe? You know, a man is constantly gathering everything. He always wants to gather things. What do we gather? So we gather basically Three things. We gather essentials for daily living, we gather treasures that we want to store up for tomorrow's need and we want to gather treasures for today's pleasure. We want to gather treasures for today's pleasure. So these are the three things that we bring, that we gather together. So the things that you and I gather reveal some things about us. The first thing it reveals about us is that it reveals what we need. What we gather Tells us about what we need, us and others, of course, But what we need. Secondly, what we gather tells us about what we want, what we long for. This is what I want. I really want that new shoe. Do I need it? No, I got 32 other pairs, maybe you might say. But I really want that new one. It, it tells us about what we want. What we're gathering tells us about what we value. We value, you know, whatever we value. We want more of it. We want more of it. What we gather tells us about what we trust. What we trust and whom we trust. That's what we, we, we hold close to us. And what we gather tells us about what makes us happy. And not everything that makes us happy makes us healthy. You know, a bar of chocolates can make me happy. But a bar of chocolates won't make me healthy. It can destroy my life and your life. So what did Jesus say about all of this? Jesus said, some very thing, very different things about some of these things. About the essentials of everyday living, Jesus said, the Lord taught us, He said, I want you to work for your everyday needs. Second Thessalonians 3, 12 says, Now such persons we command and exhort in the Lord to work in a quiet fashion and eat with your own, eat, uh, their own bread. God is saying, I want you to work with your hands the, for your essential needs. Don't lust after it, don't fight for it, just work with your hands. And then God says, he says for your daily needs, pray for your daily needs. Matthew's Gospel chapter 6 verse 7 and 8 says, ask and you shall receive, seek and you shall find. Knock and the door shall be open." Doesn't your heavenly father know you need these things even before you ask? God's telling, ask for those daily needs. Concerning the essentials of every day, God says, add skill to your life. That you can, you know, you can work and you can be someone that, that is really needed. Proverbs 22, 29 says, do you see a man skilled in his work? He will stand before kings. So for our essential daily needs, train yourself, pray and ask God what your needs are, because he knows our needs, and then oh, go out there and work. And God will supply your essential needs. What does the Bible say about treasures for our tomorrow's needs? What does the Bible say about it? Uh, our physical, emotional needs of identity. What Bible says, don't hoard things. Don't hoard up things or store up things, treasures on earth, because tomorrow you'll just lose it. The moth will just come in. And you heard last week how moth and rust and thieves will come in and take away everything. So what about the treasures for tomorrow? He says, don't hoard. Don't hoard that. What else does God say about our treasures of tomorrow? God says, God is our source. Don't be afraid of the treasures of tomorrow. God is our source. And then God says, unless God enables us to enjoy those those treasures and those blessings, we will never really be able to enjoy anything that we have. And then what what does the word of God say about our treasures that we gather for our own pleasure, our lusts, our wants, the things that we want, like power, esteem, uh, you know, that everyone will 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 consider very highly of us. The Bible says. These things will enslave us and make us selfish people. That the pleasures we go after, that which overcomes us, will enslave us. We become the slaves of our pleasures and our lusts. So when these are the things that God is wanting us to be careful about, and that we will begin to look to Him. So how does discontentment play out in our life? Discontent plays out in our life in different ways. It can... Play out in the way we begin to start complaining. If you listen to yourself or you listen to others, you see how they begin to complain. Oh, I'm not happy with that person. My teacher isn't good. Uh, I'm unhappy about my school. I don't like my, my boss. My boss is not a generous man. Oh, my, my leaders are not good. They only think about themselves. My, my followers, they're, they're not faithful. They don't work hard enough the way I want. And we we'll begin to complain. We we'll begin to, oh, my shoe is not good. It, or my, 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 whatever the things I'm used to using, I'm not happy with that. It begins by complaining. Another way discontent begins to play out is we begin to compare with one another. We look at the school that they've gone to. Oh, do you go to that school? Oh, okay. I didn't have an opportunity to go to that school. Why, God, do you, you are loving me to go to this school? I'm not happy. Or we tell others, I went to an Ivy League college. And oh, how about you? Well, because we want to know. We want to compare. Why? If I compare with someone else, I can feel better about myself. And that's why I begin to compare with other people. My, my, my language skills are better than yours. Or my skills in sport or music or something else is better than yours. We're comparing and that shows a heart of discontentment. Discontentment plays out with self-pity. Why was I born in this family? Why am I always the loser? Why am I never as good as the other people? Why am I never smart as the other one? You know, uh, I grew up in a home where my brother was really, really brilliant. and. And uh, and I was always under pressure to to outsmart him in his education. I could never compare. I could never really catch up with him. And but yet the world would put pressure. You know, you got to be like that. You have to study like that. You got to get so much. You got to be so good at your subject like that. And and the pressure is always there. And the temptation is to, there to go into self pity and say nobody loves me. Nobody cares for me. Nobody is happy about who I am or where I am. And so I got into performance addiction, trying to outperform other people and outperform the people of my, my, my brother and my sister and to become smarter and wiser and faster. And many of our school systems are designed like that. Oh, who's the top in class? He's the smartest. He's the top. He's the wisest. Did you get through that exam and he didn't get through? Or you may, he made so much money. You haven't made anything? Oh, he's got three businesses. You've got nothing? Oh, You know, this just so much comparison all the time. And, you know, some of us, we gathered together after 25, 30 years of having left school. I recently met up with some of my friends, you know, 25, 30 years uh, since we've left some of our uh, schools or our colleges or whatever. Uh, And when we got together and we were discussing together, some of them were, uh, even as we were talking... Uh, the question was, what do you do? And 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 there was a, if you may, you know, everybody was defining themselves by the job they had or or the company they led or things like that. And some others would say, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm just, uh, you know, doing that or something else or sheepishly because they were not, they they had nothing to boast about. And then we become discontent. Why God am I like this? Sometimes when we get discontent, how does it play out? We don't want to seek God's will. I don't want God's will. I want my will. You know, know, when you love somebody and you want to marry that person and and you know in your heart God is telling you, you know, you need to, maybe that's not, that person's not good for you. But in your heart you're discontinued. You're saying, "Ah, no, Lord, this is not what I want. This is, you know, don't tell me that. Lord, don't touch. You can touch anything but not that. And we all have our sacred areas of our life we don't want God to touch or God to come into. Some some of us are not happy with what we have. Discontent plays out in the way we're not happy with what we have. We're not happy with uh, the home we're part of, the family we're part of, or the house we have, or the the car we have, or whatever, the dress we have. And it plays out in so many different ways. And thereby, we want to change things so often. We want to change maybe the the place we stay, or the, the styles we walk in, or things we do. This lack of contentment, What's the cause for the fall? If you look in the Bible in Genesis, the Bible says Adam and Eve, you know they were in the garden and there was, you know, God had in his generosity, had said you can eat of all the trees of the garden. But he said, but these two trees you don't touch. The the, the tree of good and evil and the tree of life. Don't touch these two. The rest, everything I'm giving you. And Adam and Eve became discontent with God's generosity. Wow, that's amazing. Have you ever thought that you and I can get discontent with a generous person? Have you ever wondered how we, are not, we can be so discontent with the generosity of people that love us, that care for us, that pray for us, the, that we overlook their generosity and we are constantly observing the fact that they have not been kind to us or they have not been there for us or they have not loved us or helped us. We are discontent. What was Adam and Eve discontent with God about? You see, it was they were discontent with two things. They were discontent with God's permission. The fact that they had to take permission from God to do something. I don't want to take permission from God to do something. I want to be my own man or my own woman. You know, every one of us has struggled with being under authority. I don't want to take permission from somebody. I want to live my life. It's my life. You know, truly, it's never our life. You didn't determine coming into the world, and you are not going to be taking permission for but you're going to have to leave. Both these things simply tell us it's not our life. It belongs to God. We're bought with a price. This is God's life. We belong to God. And so they were discontent with the fact that they had to take his permission. They were also discontent with his provision. Oh, why is he not giving us those two, the fruits from those trees? We want that fruit of life. We want that fruit. You know, and God held that back. And he threw them out of the garden, and he put an angel there and said, "Make sure they don't get in." And they were discontent with God that they had to now work with their hands, to the sweat to their brow. God threw me out of the garden for the rest of their life. Maybe they cribbed and complained. This un, I mean, this a terrible, selfish God who threw me out of that garden. We had such a great life there, and you know, He is such a terrible God. How can you even love such a God? Because now He's making us work with our hands and sweat and all, and work very hard. And they became discontent with God. What they didn't realize, that God got them out of the garden. Because if they had eaten of that tree, of the fruit of life, they would never die. And if they never died, Jesus couldn't come to the world. And if Jesus couldn't come, if he came to the world, he wouldn't be able to die on the cross. If he didn't die on the cross, you and I would never be saved. God's apparent selfishness of throwing them out of the garden was for getting you and me saved. So that he could keep them away from the tree of life. So being this, having this attitude of this nature of discontentment is the reason for much pain in our life. So many of us have so much pain. First Timothy chapter six and verse 10 says, For the love of money is the root of all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. I want you to note that word, pierced themselves. By me longing or lusting after money, the Bible says, "Me longing, lusting after, wanting to get wealthy, is piercing myself with many griefs, having many problems, because the lack of con- contentment leaves me unhappy with what I have, wanting the most, the next thing. The more, the more that I can gather, I'm telling myself, the more I'll be happy." Because I say, if I have money, everybody will respect me. If I have money, uh, everybody will look up to me. And because I don't, that is why I am poorly esteemed by people. But many of us, we don't know how that we can be happy and content by living within our means. But instead of that, we swipe that credit card and buy that new thing and and go for the extra uh, loans and get more loans and sink in debt. I made a decision many years ago in my life. I said, I do not want to buy anything by getting in debt. I want to stay away as much as possible. I do not want to, you know, I I don't want to get into bad credit. I don't want to get into, I don't want to live off means that I don't have. And I think God wants you and me to be careful that we don't borrow money so that we can do things. You know, the, the Bible says the borrower is a servant of the lender. If it is as much as it's possible... You see to it that you do not borrow money, that you become a slave of someone who's lent you things, because it's going to bring so much pain in your life. Of course, the advertising industry tells you, you ain't beautiful enough, you need that new cream, or you ain't smart enough, you need that new watch, or that you ain't intelligent, you need that new training that's going to bring you up that corporate ladder. Sure enough, you need some of these things, but the moment you make that your identity, you'll become discontent. Discontent is also the reason for many broken relationships. James chapter 4, verse one, two, three 3 says like this. What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? It's not the source of your pleasures that wage war in your members. You lust and you do not have. You commit murder. You are envious and cannot obtain. And so you fight and you quarrel. You do not have because you don't ask. And you ask and do not receive because you ask with the wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. The Bible is saying that because we are discontent, we begin to have broken relationships with other people. Our friendships break down. Our marriages break down. We're discontent. Oh, this is not, you know, I've had men of uh, God, or I've had, uh, you know, people tell me, this is not the, the ministry that I dreamt of. I've had married men or married women say, this is not the marriage that I dreamt of. I want you to know, nobody has the marriage they dreamt of. You begin to build your marriage into the dream that God wants you to dream. You have to invest into your home, into your marriage. You've got to invest into your work. You have to invest into your career, into the responsibility that God has given you. Nothing is handed on a golden platter. You make your world a beautiful place by the power of the holy spirit that is upon you you're the only one that can make yourself happy and you're the only one that can make yourself sad your environment cannot do anything to you because if the holy ghost is in you that is a matter of you know of joy the spirit of god in in you will keep you happy if you will depend on him people are saying if i have a better church i'll be happy i wish i was part of that church or this church if i had a better wife or a better husband or if, uh, if, I, if, if if only my family would give me the inheritance that is due to me. Because they are not giving me my inheritance, that is why I am unhappy. One day in Luke's Gospel, in chapter 12, the Bible says, in verse 13 onwards, the Bible says, someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide my family inheritance with me. So he tells Jesus, Jesus, can you please tell my brother to give me my inheritance? Now, that sounds legitimate. Very interesting portion of scripture, so I want you to pay attention. That sounds really legitimate. He says, can you tell my brother to give me what is due to me, my share of the inheritance? So his brother is holding back his share. And I'm sure many of you listening to me today are also concerned about this. And you're thinking in your heart, it's unfair that they're not giving me my share of the inheritance. And Jesus said to him, man, you know, who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you, well that sounds funny, it almost sound like this, man who appointed me a judge or arbiter over you, he says, I'm not your judge for property and things like that, and then he turns to that man who asked him for a legitimate cause, can you ask my brother to give my inheritance to me, to that man he turns and says, hold on to your boots, he, he says like this, beware. Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. What? What do you mean? Here's Jesus telling a man who is asking for a legitimate thing. Can you tell my brother to give him the property which is due to me? And Jesus says, watch your heart for greed. Watch your heart for greed. He wasn't talking about inheritance. Behind his desiring the inheritance, God looked at his heart. And found a discontent, greedy heart. That was that was discontent. Maybe if Jesus spoke to his brother, his brother maybe would have may have given him correctly. But this guy's heart had an issue, and yet he's fighting with his brother, saying, "Tell him to give him my inheritance." You see, many times our heart is not right, is discontent, and we are blaming our brother or our leader. Or our fathers or our mothers, they're not fair, they're not right with me, they're not they didn't do correctly with me. But the issue Jesus saw behind behind that righteous statement. Can you help me get the money that is due to me from my brother? Jesus looked at him and says, Beware, because I see in your heart there's a danger. You better guard your heart from every form of greed. What did he call greed? His lust for his inheritance, Jesus called greed. Your lust for rightful things can sometimes be greed. For not if that's that's not an that's not an issue of right or wrong. God looks beyond that into a heart and he saw a discontent heart. For not even one who has an abundance for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. So he's saying even your brother has an abundance, or maybe you are going to be greedy? And you are going to have an abundance by the inheritance that's going to come to you. And I want you to know, you're not going to find life there. Wow. For every one of you that has been cheated of your inheritance. God is saying, you may get your inheritance, but because you're greedy, you'll not find life. You'll not be happy. You'll have what you lusted for, fought for, but you will not have what God has planned for you. What is that? More. There's something greater than earthly inheritance. What is that? It's abundant life. It's a life with the Holy Spirit. This man was being denied his inheritance. And Jesus had the audacity to look beyond his request. And look into his heart. And see his greed. And he called it out. And then he continues telling them a parable. And he says, A land of a rich man was very productive. And he began to reason to himself. Saying, what shall I do? Since I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you've had many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He he shared a story about a man who's had a lot. He tore down his barns, he's going to build up new ones, and he's saying, eat, drink, and be happy. For you have so much stored up for many years. When we get an inheritance or we get wealth that may be due to us, we become happy that, oh, I have enough now for the future. And Jesus said, you fool. What if I call your life back today? What is the use of all the wealth and inheritance that you fought for, you went to court for and you fought for, that was rightfully yours? You fool, the Bible says. If I call you back home today, that would mean nothing that you spent your life on. Neither will you eat, drink, or be merry. So is the man who stores up for himself treasures and is not rich towards God. Last week you heard about treasures of your heart. The Bible says a man who stores up treasures of this world and is not rich towards God. The Bible says that man is a fool. He's a fool who gets treasures on this earth. So many people, God has called you to obey Him. God has called you to serve Him. God has called you to to do the ministry. But you said, no, uh, you know, let me earn a little more money. Let me uh, do a little more. Let me make my life a little more secure. Let me, you know, have a little more comfort. And God is speaking to your heart and saying, you fool. You fool that you would think that you had enough time, you're not in control of your tomorrow, what if God would call you home today? You would neither have wealth, nor would you ever had that opportunity to serve God. God's calling you today in your heart, because God wants you to be content with the call of God. Contentment does not mean complacency. Many people mix these two things up, and they think, maybe, is pastor asking us to be complacent? Contentment doesn't mean sit back and do nothing. Contentment means being satisfied in the will of God. Contentment is being able to look at your abundance and say praise God, and being able to look at your lack and say hallelujah. Paul said, I know what it means to abound, I know what it means to abase, I know what it means to have plenty, and I know what it means not to have. In both these circumstances, I want to say hallelujah. That is contentment. Contentment is not complacency. Many people say, you know, uh, we we should be content and therefore I don't want to put effort. I don't want to put my effort into this or that. No, you have to put effort into doing the will of God. That is true contentment. Putting effort into doing the will of God. The Bible tells us, work hard with your hands. Hard work is God's will for our life. That we work hard so that we will be fruitful. And when the reward comes from that, God says, be content with the reward. For as long as we are free from greed, that we are not trying to work to have an identity. We are not trying to study to prove something to somebody. We are not trying to run a business so that I can become famous. Paul tells the servants, don't be unduly concerned about gaining freedom. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 7.21. Don't be unduly concerned about freedom from that particular master or leader. Or you might think, if I can leave that ministry, I'll be happy. Look at this. Those of you that are unhappy about the place that you are in right now. Paul says, he says, don't be unduly concerned about gaining freedom to the servants. He says, but if they are able to do so, they should. But he says, but don't be obsessed by it. Don't be obsessed by it. Learn in the midst of that circumstance to be content. How could Paul say that? By sitting in a Roman jail, he said, I'm content. I'm happy with what God's doing in life. If you're single and you're feeling lonely, there's nothing wrong in desiring to be married. That's not wrong. It's not wrong to desire to have a godly spouse, a godly partner. It's not wrong. But as long as you are not so consumed or overtaken by that desire... That you lose sound judgment and just get married to somebody. And anyone that comes your way smiled at you or winked at you. And then you end up crying the rest of your life. Don't jump into it. If you are in an unpleasant job, pray about it. Ask the Lord. There's nothing wrong in going back to get another training or another degree. So that you can have a better job, a better circumstance. But as long as you're doing it in submission to the will of God. The will of God is the place of contentment. Let me say that again, I love that. The will of God is your place of contentment. If you are going to be in a better quality of life, but outside the will of God, you'll never be content in the Lord. So what does contentment really mean? It is the inner sense of peace or rest that comes from being right with God. That you know that I am right with God. I am doing the will of God. I'm in the place where God wants me to be. Knowing that God's in control of all that happens to us. It means to have our focus on the kingdom of God and serving God and His will. And not on the love of money and pleasures and things or resources that are going to make me happy alone. In short, contentment is finding our place in the will and the plan of God. Let me say it again. contentment. Is finding our happy place. In the will. And the plan of God. Contentment is not in the abundance of our riches. But it's in the presence of God. In the midst of our storm. Contentment is not in the ability to gain. But it's the ability to be happy. When everything else around is going crazy. If God gives us blessings. Financial, physical, anything. We can be happy. But we will choose to use it for the will of God. Contentment. Knows how to be happy. So when God blesses us, we must understand there's a difference between God blessing us and we running after blessing. When God blesses us, the Bible says in Proverbs 10.22, The blessing of the Lord maketh rich and he adds no sorrow to it. But the Bible says in Proverbs 15.16, Better is a little with the fear of the Lord than great treasure with turmoil. That comes with it. God is calling you in me to be content. And I just pray that we God will find you in the peace of God. As we are beginning this journey. Of coming to a place that our heart. Is a heart that's content. And truly to just wrap it all up. What does that mean? To have a heart that's content. To a heart that knows the will of God. And is happy. Happily submitting. And living. In the will and the plans of God. That's contentment. Thank you for listening to this sermon. For more sermons, please do visit us at wicc.in.